Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part one of Pastor Michael's final teaching in the book of Psalms, chapters 22 through 24, called the Shepherd Psalms. We are going to look at the final of the three shepherd psalms, Psalm 24, a beautiful, powerful psalm. So let's go there, Psalm 24. And uh, as we did last time, we don't always do this with the psalms, but I think this is worth us reading together. And uh, if you're able to stand, would you stand with us for the reading of God's word? Psalm 24, we're going to read the whole psalm together, Psalm 24. It reads this way, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And then it ends with Selah. All right, you may be seated. Father, thank you so much for this majestic psalm. Uh, It is the third in a trilogy of shepherd psalms, all about the Messiah and his work and even the future in him, and we are grateful for it, and we pray it would thrill our hearts, it would encourage our souls, it would bless your people, it would draw those who don't know you to you for hope. And Lord, when we think about the, the fact that we just were seeing a repetition that you are the King of glory, strong and mighty, you're the one we look to tonight. You are our Savior, our God, our King, you are the glorious one. We lay this time at your feet that you might be glorified in it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, if you have joined us recently for teaching in the Shepherd Psalms, the Shepherd Psalms are considered to be 22, 23, and 24. Psalms 22, 23, 24. I gave you three S headings for the Psalms. In Psalm 22, you see the Savior. They're all called Messianic Psalms. So they have to do with the Messiah or the coming Savior. Savior in Psalm 22, shepherd in Psalm 23, sovereign in Psalm 24. So I hope you were with us as we got a chance to look at the previous two Psalms. Last time we were together, we looked at the beautiful Psalm 23. It ended this way. Surely, Psalm 23, 6, goodness and loving kindness, says David, will follow me all the days of my life, my earthly life, and in addition to that, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, and all God's people said, forever. Now, within Psalm 24, there's going to be a question 
that gets answered, and it's this question, how do you end up in that place? How can you or I ascend that holy hill knowing that God is holy and powerful and dwells, as Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, in unapproachable light, that he is majestic in his holiness? How could I ascend that holy hill? How is it that I could dwell in that house forever? What would make me worthy of that? And we're going to answer that question tonight as we delve into Psalm 24 and look at the final leg of the shepherd psalms. This has been called the, uh, a royal psalm because it does talk about the uh, royalty of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's also considered the song of ascension because it does depict the Lord going up, if you will, or going up into the gates. And the backdrop of this particular psalm is 2 Samuel chapter 6. And there we have a story about when David brought the ark into the holy city. And this is actually, if you do a little research on Psalm 24, there are many commentators that believe that the backdrop of the writing of this psalm, and remember, every psalm that we study is a song that was sung somewhere along the way. And these, all three of these psalms penned by David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, and they believe it was penned and sung as the ark came in to the holy city. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was that uh, treasure. Uh, uh, it was the, the box, and it was overlaid with gold. And it was something that was treasured within Israel. And it represented, really, the presence of God or the throne of God. And it was the only piece of furniture that was actually behind the veil behind the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and many of you have only seen a picture of this in Indiana Jones with the two angels' wings touching, but maybe you've seen some other uh, depictions. I remember one time I got a chance to go to a rabbi's house and he had an actual Ark of the Covenant. I've had a chance to go to Israel a couple times and I've seen some you know, copies of the Ark of the Covenant, some, some really well done ones. But the only person that really got to interact with that piece of furniture, if I can put it that way, was the high priest, and only that once a year. And he would go in on something that we acknowledged last Sunday, which was the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. Kippur is a word from Hebrew that comes from the idea of kafar, and it literally means to cover. So whenever you think of the idea of atonement, Atonement is to cover us, to cover our sins and transgressions. Within the uh, Ark of the Covenant, they ultimately placed the Ten Commandments, and uh, they had there was three different things in there. There was Aaron's rod that had budded, and there was also, can you name the third thing that was placed in, within the Ark? It was a jar of manicotti, no, manna, uh, and those things that were within the Ark. And some, some scholars have pointed out that if you see the Ten Commandments within the, the chest or, or the, the, the ark that testify against us on top of where the two angels' wings touch is considered the mercy seat. In Romans 3.25, Jesus Christ is actually called our mercy seat or our seat of mercy. And what the high priest would do once a year on Yom Kippur is he would confess the sins of the nation and they would have two goats, 
One goat was called the scapegoat. And what would happen is the high priest would be dressed in white. He would lay his hands on top of the head of the scapegoat, confess the sins of the nation. And they, they would let the scapegoat go away and it would go into the wilderness. But they say in Jewish tradition that the scapegoat tended to come back to the place from which it was sent, almost like your dog or cat finds its way back home. And so they began a tradition where they had to have someone standing kind of at the brow of a hill. And when the scapegoat would be prayed, and the, it was kind of like this idea, symbolically at least, of transference of sins from the nation and the high priest to the goat, the scapegoat would go off into the wilderness, and it was supposed to be a picture of him carrying our sins away, and, or Israel's sins in this case. And literally, the word for forgiveness in your New Testament literally has the idea of to have your sins carried away. In fact, we have it in one of the Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he, what, removed our transgressions from us. And so this becomes a picture. Now, when Jesus was in Nazareth, this is really interesting, in Luke chapter 4, he goes in and he reads the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading from Isaiah 61. And he, he says, uh, the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, etc. And he says, today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. And some of the people, as Jesus began, uh, continued to speak, they got unhappy with some of his words. And they took him to a brow of a hill to throw him off the hill. Now, let me go back to the picture I was telling you about the scapegoat. The scapegoat had a tendency to come back. So they would position someone at the brow of the hill. And when the scapegoat got to that person, he would literally take the goat and throw it off the hill to ensure that it would not come back, representing bringing back all the sins of the people back into the temple area. So they would throw the goat off the hill, the scapegoat. Get this. Jesus is in his hometown and after he said some hard things and he said, I'm the Messiah, they brought him to the brow of a hill. They intended to throw him off the hill in fulfillment of the imagery of the scapegoat. And because he would not die that way, because he would die on a cross, that's how God had planned the whole thing. It simply says that he simply just passed by and got away from the mob isn't that interesting? This is, this is the idea of the Day of Atonement and the significance of this piece of furniture known as the Ark of the Covenant. The law testifies against us. The law's charging us, but the mercy seat that gets ultimately sprinkled with the blood of a second goat, one gets sent off, a second goat dies. The high priest goes in and he sprinkles the blood and... Uh, that's how it go, the blood goes on top of the mercy seat and so forth. Now, I, I mentioned to you the backdrop. I want you to hold your place in Psalm 24 and turn over to 2 Samuel <clears throat> chapter 6. First five books of Moses, Joshua, then Joshua judges Ruth, then First and Second Samuel. Okay, so we're going back a little bit in our Bibles. I want you to see uh, many of the Psalms have uh, a, a backdrop, uh, uh, an occurrence on which from which they were penned. And this is one that we have a pretty decent idea. And here's what it says. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hey, I'm Rob Newton, the producer of Walk in Truth. Since we began on this journey of reaching out with God's truth to all people, we have grown to be on four radio stations in Southern California, Arizona, Idaho, and Utah, reaching people from all walks of life and faiths. Our program has also reached listeners in 49 countries. If you are a financial partner, thank you for recognizing the importance of Walk in Truth's presence on radio and podcast, and for praying for people's lives to be changed through hearing and responding to the messages aired each week. Through our partnership together, Walk in Truth has been able to carry God's message of hope to thousands of listeners who may be feeling stress, confusion, and hopelessness. Walk in Truth's total budget for radio airtime, promotion, equipment, supplies, and staffing is over $150,000 a year. Our goal has always been to become 100% listener-supported and to expand into more radio stations as God provides. Our current level of listener financial support is about 25%. Can you give a one-time tax-deductible donation today? Please visit walkintruth.com to donate online or get the mailing address. That's walkintruth.com. If you just tuned in, then you missed the first half of today's edition of Walk in Truth. That's okay. You can listen to this episode and many others whenever it's convenient for you on your free Living Truth app. Walk in Truth is also on your favorite podcast app. Simply search for and subscribe to Walk in Truth on apps like Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and many more. Listening to a podcast as well as radio is a great way to get some time in the Word when you're walking, catching up on some work, or if you're like me and just need to listen to some Bible teaching while getting ready in the morning. Remember, you can find Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Now, when Jesus was in Nazareth, this is really interesting, in Luke chapter 4, he goes in and he reads the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading from Isaiah 61. And he, he says, uh, the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, etc. And he says, today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. And some of the people, as Jesus began, uh, continued to speak, they got unhappy with some of his words. And they took him to a brow of a hill to throw him off the hill. Now, let me go back to the picture I was telling you about the scapegoat. The scapegoat had a tendency to come back. So they would position someone at the brow of the hill. And when the scapegoat got to that person, he would literally take the goat and throw it off the hill to ensure that it would not come back representing bringing back all the sins of the people back into the temple area. So they would throw the goat off the hill, the scapegoat. Get this. Jesus is in his hometown and after he said some hard things and he said, I'm the Messiah, they brought him to the brow of a hill. They intended to throw him off the hill in fulfillment of the imagery of the scapegoat. And because he would not die that way, because he would die on a cross, that's how God had planned the whole thing. It simply says that he simply just passed by and got away from the mob. Isn't that interesting? This is, this is the idea of the Day of Atonement and the significance of this piece of furniture known as the Ark of the Covenant. The law testifies against us. The law's charging us, but the mercy seat 
that gets ultimately sprinkled with the blood of a second goat. One gets sent off, a second goat dies. The high priest goes in and he sprinkles the blood. And uh, that's how it go, the blood goes on top of the mercy seat and so forth. Now, I mentioned to you the backdrop. I want you to hold your place in Psalm 24 and turn over to 2 Samuel <clears throat> chapter 6. First five books of Moses, Joshua, then Joshua judges Ruth, then 1 and 2 Samuel. Okay, so we're going back a little bit in our Bibles. I want you to see uh, many of the Psalms have a, a, a backdrop, uh, um, an occurrence on which, from which they were penned. And this is one that we have a pretty decent idea and here's what it says. This is 2 Samuel 6, 3. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, <laughs> close enough, the sons of Abinadab were leading the new cart. And so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, 2 Samuel 6, 4. And Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. So the ark represents his presence with all kinds of instruments made of fir, fir wood, with uh, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, let me just pause here. Um, there's an interesting thing just to, for an insight from a Hebrew uh, perspective. Hebrew words have pictures associated with them because Hebrew letters actually are pictorial. And see that, that idea of a threshing floor? Holiness, get this, the word holiness in Hebrew is what comes out of the threshing floor. Now, what they do when they thresh wheat is they separate the wheat from the what? The chaff. So what they'll do is they'll go up typically on a high mountain on a windy day and they throw the wheat kernels up in the air and the chaff is light or yes, yeah, lighter than the wheat. And so the wind uh, will blow the chaff away and then the wheat is the only thing that remains. Holiness is what happens after the threshing floor. It's when God separates the wheat from the chaff. And one of the ways that he endeavors to make us holy is by getting the chaff or the junk out of our lives. Can I get a witness, anybody? Right? We go through the refiner's fire. He separates the wheat from the chaff. You, you get the idea. So Uzzah reached out, middle of six, toward the ark. He took hold of it for the oxen nearly upset it. So the idea is it almost fell over. So Uzzah reached out to grab it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. We'll come back to that in a moment. And David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Now, this 
story of Uzzah, if, you were, if you've been with us at Living Truth for a while, I've taught through First and Second Samuel. And here's what happened with Uzzah. Uzzah's actions in and of themselves were commendable, you could say, even. But here's the problem. There was a certain way the ark was to be moved. It's all spelled out in the Old Testament, and they did not pay attention to it. It was only to be carried by priests. It was to be carried on poles. It was not to be touched. It certainly was not to be handled by a common person. There's scriptures that have the idea of not even looking at it. And so they, they were carrying it the wrong way, and they were not to have it on a cart. That's the way pagans move things, not God's people were supposed to carry this thing on poles and on their shoulders. They disobeyed God, so God killed Uzzah, and Uzzah lay dead right in front of the ark. Now, they were having a party and a celebration. You can imagine, there's David dancing before the ark. They're all excited to bring the ark in the city of God, and God says, zap, Uzzah dead, <laughs> right? And, and David was like, whoa. And it's one of those ideas that we need to understand in Scripture that God is holy that when he spells something out, you're not only to do God's work, but you're to do God's work God's way. He's not to be trifled with. And when they didn't handle the most important holy piece of furniture that represented the very presence of God and the mercy seat of God, God killed this guy. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn back to Psalm 24 because what you're going to see is David in the third of these three shepherd psalms is laying out this idea of going up and who can ascend the hill of God? How, how can I be right before God if this is who God is? We'll get to that, but let's go back to the beginning just for a second. I gave you the backdrop, told you a little bit about the psalm. It opens with the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, Psalm 24, 1, the world and those who dwell in it. If you're uh, taking notes and you like to do headings, three major sections. The first is praise to God who is the creator and sovereign of the world, or you could just write his universal dominion. His universal dominion. God is sovereign over everything. The earth, the planet we live on, is whose? It's the Lord's. And how much? And all that it contains, and just in case we missed it, the world and the people too, those who dwell in it. This is a declaration. The world is the Lord's. Psalm 50, 10 and 11 says, every beast of the forest is mine, God speaking, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, everything that moves in the field is mine. Ezekiel 18.2 says, All souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul whose sins will die. It's funny, when little kids are growing up, they like to say, Mine, 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 mine. And God says, Hey, I got news for you. It's mine. See, all this stuff, the planet you walking on, the air you're breathing, the dirt you walk on, the water you drink, the air you breathe, the circulatory system that you don't got to think about that's pumping blood through your organs and veins and so forth and so on. Eyes you can look out through, a nose that you can smell through, taste buds. Can I get a witness? Taste buds. He didn't have to give us taste buds, but he did. 
Praise the Lord. And God says, mine, mine, mine. Not yours. And if you want to know the biblical term for this idea, it's that you and I are stewards. A steward is someone who manages somebody else's stuff. You've been listening to The Shepherd Psalms for Part 1 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 24. Remember, Walk in Truth is on podcast apps like iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Stitcher, and many more. So you can listen to Pastor Michael's teaching whenever you want. If you're already listening to Walk in Truth on Apple Podcast, please give the podcast a rating. More good ratings means the greater the possibility that new listeners will find the podcast. Thank you for rating Walk in Truth. And remember, if you have not already done it, search and subscribe to Walk in Truth wherever you get your podcasts. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your financial gift helps us broadcast on radio, provide the podcast, and do free apologetic events. It's all part of our mission to equip you with the truth in the Bible and to help you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Please consider becoming a monthly partner, too, or give a one-time tax-deductible donation. Please visit walkintruth.com and click Donate. That's walkintruth.com. Or you can write a check and mail your gift to Walk in Truth, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's Walk in Truth, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. And join us on Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's message in Psalm 24 in the mini-series called The Shepherd Psalms. I'm Mike Massaro. Hope you had a blessed first week of 2021. And thanks for listening to Walk in Truth where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.